0: Everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the MobileCast. We're coming to you live from the MobileCast studio here in Oakland, New Jersey, and I'm your host, Brian Katz. Today's show is going to be fun and really interesting as we have a great topic and a really fun guy to talk to. We're going to be talking about identity and access management as it relates to mobile computing. And I'm really stoked about our guest, Paul Matson, who is a real expert on tonight's topic and an absolutely hilarious on Twitter. On Twitter, if you don't follow him, you should. Paul works from the CTO's office at Ping Identity and has a great background. Welcome to the MobileCast, Paul. Go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Thanks, Brian. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Um, as you said, I, I work at Ping Identity. I, I work in the CTO office there, and and we're sort of loosely mandated to to look at you know new trends, new new use cases, new. Uh, issues that our customers will be facing, and, and clearly, mobility is is a big one. Um, so, I work in a, a security company now. I, I I don't have a security background. I actually have a physics background. But I, when I realized, I guess ten fifteen years ago that that wasn't going to uh, keep the uh, keep the kids in diapers, um, I switched, and and I actually worked in technical documentation for a while, and um, the. Underlying infrastructure for technical docs was XML and seven eight years ago XML emerged as a as a pretty important piece of a couple of security standards uh, one of which was saml so I, I, I jumped onto uh, uh, XML for security uh, participated in the development of Saml, the Security Assertion Markup Language, uh, a couple of other XML-based security standards since then. But uh, lately, I've been jumping with everybody else onto the the JSON band bandwagon and uh, switching to some of the more recent uh, JSON and and cool kid standards like OAuth and OpenID Connect.
0: Um,
1: what else? I'm
0: I'm Canadian,
1: uh, proudly so, if somewhat apologetically.
0: <laughs> so now, wait a second. First of all, you've been in security for long enough. You know, you've been there more than eight years at this point. It sounds like so. You can't say you don't have a security background, but you're you actually have a, um, me- a bachelor of science in physics. Uh,
1: well, you know, if we're if we're going to be precise, uh, I have a doctorate in physics, but uh, wow, don't well, particularly use that much in in my day to day work.
0: No, it's interesting. Now I actually was a double major in uh, college in uh, physics and mechanical engineering. And mm-hmm. in my junior year, I made the decision to go mechanical engineering only because junior lab was just you couldn't do, you couldn't do both without five years, and I didn't want to do five years. So more power to you to go all the way to a doctorate.
1: Well, you, you probably made the right decision. Um, you know, I, I don't regret it, but I, I wouldn't claim that it actually has benefited <laughs> my current career. But regardless, that that ship has sailed.
0: <laughs> and now you're in security. So what we're here to do is talk a little bit about identity and access management. So let's start with the generalities before we kind of get down to mobile. So, you know, a really good way to level set this discussion. So, what you know, as we get this picture... Tell us, you know, give us a good baseline of where, you know, where we're starting and, you know, then we'll move on from there.
1: Sure. Um, So at at its most basic, I I think identity management is meant to make possible uh, some user sitting in front of some computing device accessing some application. And, you know, the device will change and and we're seeing that now. Uh, The application the 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 mechanisms by which the application functionality is accessed will change. We're seeing that now. Uh, where the apps are hosted will change. Uh, clearly, we're seeing that with the cloud. But all of those variations and permutations uh, don't change the fact that you know it really just boils down to some user needs to be able to <laughs> access an application and. The application, if it's anything other than trivial, needs to make sure that that user should be allowed to see that application whether it's you know personal private information or business data that only particular users should be allowed to see. so identity management is is all the underlying pieces and in infrastructure that make that happen um, you so,
0: know, so, so in other words, what what we're saying is when you run an app, the app needs to know who you are. And whether you have permissions to come out and play correct um,
1: and historically, the mechanism by which an app did that, you know maybe sitting on a mainframe or or um, uh, or older, was that a user would have been issued some sort of password, and they would directly authenticate, present that qu- password, maybe some account name, and the application. Uh, would bear the burden of authenticating that user. You know, check the password, see if if the password's valid, see if the user's good, and see if they should be authorized and allowed to to do what they're asking to do. Um, And that's great uh, until the nature of the applications and the number of the applications and the location of the application means that um, passwords just don't work anymore. Uh, we're seeing that, you know. If you think about the number of SaaS that a, a typical uh, enterprise employee might use in a in a day to day basis, um, I don't know. I, I probably have about ten different SaaS providers that that Ping has um, purchased the the services of to help me do my job. Um, I don't think I'm, you know. Uh, Irrepresentative. There, I'm, I'm sure some have more, some have less. But 10 apps. Um, if I'm expected to have a password for each of them, uh, then then I, as a user, and consequently myself as an employee, uh, you know, bear the burden of managing all those logins, and inevitably, my productivity is going to suffer.
0: Well, your so. product, your productivity suffers, and you know, you get to the point where. You know, certainly until recently when you had um, apps that could help you with this, you were using sticky notes, you were writing them down somewhere. They became very difficult to remember. Or, you know, you use password or password123, which, you know, I think password is the most popular uh, password out there. And then 12345678 is the next one uh, from what I've seen recently.
1: Those were actually good passwords. Uh, um, You know, even more serious is... Then poor passwords is reuse of passwords. Or you know, they're it's, they're not independent, those risks, because because if I use a bad password, or even if I use a strong password at a site that is hacked, and that and that password is breached, the, the risk is not limited to only that one site or application if I've used that same password elsewhere.
0: So password so you talked about password reuse, which really brings us to the next part of the discussion of what is single sign-on?
1: So, single sign is a is a model of user authentication into applications that that presumes that a user doesn't actually need to have a password at every application they want to use. Instead, uh, in in one manifestation of single sign-on, they authenticate to some other entity, and that entity. Uh, Perhaps it's their enterprise or perhaps it's Facebook in the consumer world. That other entity asserts the relevant pieces of identity um, and identifiers about that user to the application site.
0: So is it it fair to say that um, whatever that piece is really becomes the identity authority? It says who you are and passes that information along to the app that you want to use.
1: Exactly. And, and depending on the, the nature of the relationship between the app and the authority, uh, or the identity provider, sometimes referred to, um, they may well have come to an agreement as to what pieces of identity need to be asserted. Um, in an enterprise, you know, it's probably going to be my role. What, what do I do at the enterprise? Because the applications will want to make a, an appropriate authorization decision based on that role.
0: Yeah. So essentially, do I have permission to see this data or that data? And you know, what do I have permission to? What don't I? I probably shouldn't see HR data, but I should be, you know, being that I do mobile at my job, I should be able to see information about mobile devices and everything else.
1: Right now, that sort of granularity of authorization decision probably sits at the application, right? And and based on the the attributes about your role at your company, uh, it's the application that can make that that authorization decision. It's it's unlikely, typically, that your enterprise would be asserting um, that you have specific permissions to do specific things at the applications. It it can work that way, but typically they assert identity attributes, and then it's the application that uh, owns the decision about what you can do.
0: Okay, so... The, so single sign-on's been around for a while. You know, we're have you know we starting to get a handle on having an identity authority, and it asserts who you are, yep. and then the app has the role. So single sign-on has been played with web apps forever. I mean, I remember using it back in 2000, and probably much longer than that. Not necessarily well. I think it's grown up a little bit. But can you explain how it works for a web app? Because I think that'll make more sense when we get to start talking about mobile apps in a couple of minutes.
1: So, so there's a number of standards that have been defined over the last uh, seven, eight years that that define uh, via the browser, because you know a web app is going to be accessed in a browser of some sort. So that the standards stipulate kind of a messaging pattern between the application, some website that the user is trying to access, and the identity provider, uh, some other website that uh, can authenticate actually log the user in, uh, maybe with a password, maybe with something better than a password. So the standards stipulate how those two websites communicate amongst themselves about that user. So if for instance I start off at the application and I say I want to log in, um, typically that that application website or the service provider will give me an option to log in directly you know if I have a password there um, but also they might give me an option to specify I wanna log in via SSO. Maybe they give me a, a text field that I can type in um, my identity provider, my, my enterprise or, or equivalent. Alternatively, they might uh, discover that information by asking my, my email, et cetera. So there are ways for the application to know for a given user, you know, where do I send them to be authenticated? Once the application knows where the browser should be sent, then the standards stipulate what parameters should be passed on those uh, those 302 those browser redirects to that other uh, website, the IDP um,
0: I- identity provider for.
1: for- <laughs> 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 so you you uh, you mock my acronyms sometimes, but taking me a while to get used to the. M star M uh, library.
0: Yeah, well, you know, pot calling kettle black here. Uh, um, us mobile people have probably 50 to 100 acronyms that we will use interchangeably, and it really doesn't matter. We're quite <laughs> free with them. So
1: Every community has that. It's how we keep out outsiders.
0: <laughs> so you're talking about identity providers. You've kind of explained how it works with web apps, but you keep talking about standards, and I've heard about a lot of these different standards, SAML, OAuth, OAuth2, JSON, you know, we go through all these, but to be honest, most people get so technical, start drawing these diagrams that take up two, three pages to explain how they work together. Can you explain a little more simply what the, what some of these are? Um,
1: so there are a number of standards. Uh, historically, there have been standards that have emerged in, in, in different spaces, so Saml, the Security Assertion Markup Language, um, was defined to meet the use cases of the enterprise and, and more recently, uh, the cloud SaaS SaaS providers, etc. So, the the expectations and the security requirements of Saml are very different than uh, a single sign-on protocol that emerged to meet the. Uh, expectations and security requirements of uh, blogging or tweeting, um, such as OpenID2. Um, so there's, there's always been a number of different protocols that can be used for single sign-on, but for the most part, there's been so a reasonable separation as to when you would use one and when you would use the other. If, if you care about security, and this is vastly oversimplifying, if you care about security, uh, if the nature of your application is sensitive uh, for one reason or another, then you're probably going to be thinking about using SAML. Uh, if you care less about security and you want a more dynamic and more dynamic trust model between parties, and you want it easier for developers to add SSO to their applications, then historically you would have been looking at OpenID too. So that, and and those were were both standards, quote unquote, that emerged to meet the browser SSO use case. So five or six years ago, the, the mechanism by which that first website would call the other API and be able to access Paul's calendar data is the first website would ask me for my password at that second site. Uh and they'd effectively impersonate me because they'd present my password and from the point of view of the, the site hosting my calendar, well, that, that site has my password, so it must be valid. Basically, it's me. Um now that that's been referred to as the password anti pattern because it's it's using passwords inappropriately. Um I'm necessarily sharing my password. Uh, with a site that I may not even particularly know well or, or fully trust. Um, there's a lot of other issues with that that model of enabling this sort of API access. So OAuth uh, 1 emerged five or six years ago to mitigate that. And OAuth, uh, in its earliest form and, and uh, more recently OAuth 2, the, the evolution of that, said you don't ever want to present a user's credentials directly on that API call. What you want to present um, as the means of authenticating API calls is a token, uh, some security uh, assertion or string that effectively represents the user and potentially represents the fact that the user had issued their consent for this API sharing to
0: happen. So if I, if I simplify that, that would kind of be, you know, for example, I walk into a bar I show my ID and they give me a wrist bracelet that says, okay, you're over 21, we've re- represented that, and now anytime I show that wrist bracelet, it entitles me to get a drink. Um,
1: uh, that's a great example. Uh, a valet key is, is oftentimes given as another example because uh, the valet key uh, that I might hand to the valet has a limited set of permissions associated with it um, as opposed to the key that actually starts the engine and you know, allows the car to be driven away.
0: It can't open the trunk. It can't do some of the other things, but it allows the valet to park the car and drive it around and get it where you want to do, but they don't have rights to everything in the car. Exactly. And, and that
1: it's that constrained granularity that OAuth makes possible, um, as particularly compared to if I had actually given, uh, my password to a site or, uh, given my driver's license to the bartender, you know, it's that, it's that, Relative control that I have uh, with a token, as opposed to the more fundamental password.
0: Okay, so now, 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 does OAuth? I'm going to guess stand for Open Authentication. Just to guess. It
1: it, it originally stood for uh, Open Authorization because the, the initial use cases and and for for many the, the use cases that are relevant still had a had a sort of a semantic of a user giving their consent to some API operation happening. So there was this uh, authorization or consent uh, feel to how the protocol was used. And it's still used in that uh, that manner in many cases. Um, OAuth's kind of grown since then. Um, It's it's more of a framework than a simple protocol now. And it can be used to support that sort of uh, delegated consent or authorization use case, important on the consumer web. Uh, but it can also support uh, a more straightforward authentication model. Um, it's not clear how relevant it is for an employee to give consent to some app that they've installed being able to access uh, some CRM data or uh, a colleague's calendar. So OAuth remains relevant in the enterprise, but that that consent piece that's so critical to the consumer world, um, it doesn't always apply in the enterprise
0: really interesting because, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way. So we've talked a little bit about SAML. We've talked about OAuth and OAuth 2. Um, anything else before we move to the uh, next topic?
1: Well, um, so OAuth 2, as important as it is, it it really doesn't have any sort of identity piece to it. Um, it's It's moving these tokens around, but the protocol itself doesn't layer any sort of identity semantic or layer onto those tokens. So, emerging uh, over the last two years is a standard, and and I know I'm just introducing more acronyms to feed fuel to your acronym overkill, uh, is OpenID Connect. Um, In some sense, it's an evolution of OpenID too, uh, in that it started in the consumer world to meet those SSO use cases. But it's, it's grown beyond that, uh, and it's expected that it can sort of cross uh, the, the chasm between the consumer world and the enterprise and cloud world. Uh, it's a profile of OAuth 2. You can think of it as a, a thin identity layer built on top of OAuth 2. Uh, I mention it only because it promises to simplify the landscape, uh, because OpenID Connect can do both what SAML does, uh s- browser apps, as well as what OAuth2 does, enabling API uh, authenticated and secure APIs.
0: So so it allows us to more securely by representing identity, which is what SAML does, I think, if I understand it correctly, give out tokens and allow this sort of stuff to um, interchange, enabling single sign-on and that sort of thing.
1: Uh, Definitely, but... Importantly and critically for many, it's built on JSON and REST principles as opposed to XML.
0: Okay, and modern
1: what? developers, um, the expectation is that OpenID Connect will be uh, a far easier cell to integrate into their apps than SAML was.
0: Okay, so now that we have a little bit of understanding of some of these things, that you know, one of the things that I see in the enterprise is that we've really been pushing for single sign-on on on native apps, especially on mobile devices, um, tablets, uh, phones, those sorts of things. Now, this can't be as easy as it is for web apps because, A, you're not in a browser, and, you know, B, you're on a different platform now. Granted, it still is a computer, but, you know, where's this going? I know you have some really... uh, Cool ideas on this topic.
1: Yeah, um, well, I think I think the, the industry is is recognizing the need for uh, a single sign on experience for native apps, uh, just as is currently possible for, for browser apps. What what OAuth makes possible is that individual apps, um, whether a, a SaaS app calling uh, a Salesforce API, or maybe it's a, it's an app developed by an enterprise calling some uh, on prem. RESTful API, OAuth works fine in enabling and authorizing uh, those individual apps uh, on a case by case basis. So that's great, but if I have more and more native apps and that seems to be the trend how industry is moving, notwithstanding the promise of HTML5 the trend seems to be I'm going to have a lot of apps on my device Um, the, the default reality of OAuth is that I have to individually manage the authentication and authorization of each of those apps, so that uh, arguably doesn 't scale um, and it particularly doesn 't scale if each of those apps has a different concept of of session and and validity of token lifetimes etc so um, and I think clearly the industry is recognizing that so um, what what ping uh, along with some others is just Finding is a model whereby we can enable uh, a single sign-on experience across those native apps um, so that if I, as uh, an employee, I open my phone first thing in the morning, um, I'd, I'd expect to log into my enterprise uh, uh, through some explicit uh, presentation of my Active Directory credentials or, or equivalent. And then based on that, i 'd be able to enjoy access to all the native apps that are relevant to my role installed on that device uh, in a seamless manner um,
0: so you, so we got what we want to do. How do we do it
1: well so so the the architecture that we 're developing um, is still still early days um, depends upon the idea of some sort of uh, privileged application or agent running on the device, um, you know, associated with my enterprise identity. It's to that agent that I explicitly log in on a daily or, or, you know, some some policy-defined schedule. And then based on that explicit login or authentication, it's that agent that's able to go and get the tokens that the actual business apps need to do their job. So rather than each business app bearing the burden and and corresponding to the user bearing the burden of individually obtaining the OAuth tokens that it needs for its API calls, the agent takes on that role. Um, So a simpler trust model, arguably, but importantly, a far uh, more usable
0: model for the user. So uh, would a good way of, you know, I guess would a good analogy for this be Um, If I go back to the 90s when EasyPass first came out, um, I'm hoping you have these up in Canada, Um, we'd put that on the car. You know, it's an RFID reader for toll booths, and a lot of the states didn't talk to each other. And what started happening was EasyPass signed agreements with different states, and it represented your identity as you went through the different tolls. So even though they didn't necessarily... Fully accept it. It could see who you were, and could eventually charge it back to you, your account, which is similar to what we're talking about here. You're putting an you're putting an agent or an app on the device that runs in the background that can do this identity and this OAuth piece and get these tokens and hand them to your native apps when you need them to. Is that? A, am I getting it correct?
1: yeah i think you are i mean uh, maybe i tighten up the analogy a bit um by saying if if your easy pass uh installed on your car as you were going through a, a toll in a out of state uh you were traveling out of state your easy pass that, that was associated with your identity in your home state would call back to your home state and say you know here i am i need i need a token i need a ticket that will get me through this toll gate that otherwise wouldn't recognize me and wouldn't let me through. Okay. So the idea of some sort of privileged agent uh, associated with a particular user taking on that responsibility for obtaining the tokens, the tickets needed to to get to the application.
0: Well, this kind of leads me to, you know, if and I think I'm getting all this, which is great, because I think you're explaining it really well here, Paul. Um, and I'm going to use one of your... Um, acronyms here, IDAM, Identity and Access Management. Um, mm. It really seems like as an enterprise, we're going to need to build an ecosystem for IDAM, which allows us to do this sort of SSO and put the agent on the device and actually you know, be able to um, do this authentication and get these tokens.
1: Uh, absolutely. And, I, and And I think some of the pieces of that ecosystem are in place now. You know if you think about uh, a container or or a man provider, there is already on those devices a trusted agent and it's and it's one that can have um have an identity an enterprise identity bound to it um, Those agents already have a trusted relationship with the applications that run within you know either logically or or physically inside that container so so we're really interested in in exploring how that existing um, deployed infrastructure, uh, acknowledging that it's evolving, um, you know, constantly, how how we can sort of feed IDAM into that that existing application model on the device.
0: So are you at Ping looking at, um, for example, creating some sort of SDK slash um, API model that these agents can use and then when I set up the framework using yours or somebody else's stuff, um, I have this ecosystem that I can now ask and it has that framework and makes it easy because not everybody's going to use the same mam MIM and M- you know MDM provider so mobile <laughs> device management, mobile application management, mobile information management for those of you that aren't familiar <laughs> with the acronyms um, Is that how it's going to work? Well, so
1: you're asking if Ping would would define our own SDK. There, there seem to be enough SDKs <laughs> out there that that a, an application developer, uh, uh, a SaaS developer, or some some enterprise developer is being asked to write to um, if they want their app to work with the various MAM. Um, I'm encouraged by the the recent discussions that that you've been participating in about the need for standardizing some sort of SDK so so that an app need only uh, write to a single SDK and and then could have an expectation of working with multiple MAMs. If that were to happen, then I'd hope that that SDK would include this sort of uh, token issuance and request uh, semantic. Because if that were the case, then an app could be written against this standard SDK. It could find itself installed onto... Uh, various devices, where you know theoretically uh, independent of which man was on the device, it would just work, and it would also be able to ask for the tokens uh, that it needs to call back to its API. I-, I think that's that's the dream.
0: So, if that's the dream, I'm going to guess that right now um, you guys are talking to all the individual vendors, trying to get them to at least adopt this, since you don't know who's going to win and what the standard's going to be yet.
1: Yeah, we're, we're we're talking to to a number uh, of those uh, players, um, largely driven by shared customers. Uh, we have large enterprise customers who've invested in in these these providers and uh, clearly want their identity infrastructure to work with their application management infrastructure. Um, so we're 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 having those discussions, um, and we're learning from them about about that space and, and hopefully they're learning from us about the identity space. Um, but we're also working to standardize a protocol, almost completely independent of how the MAM or that agent communicates with the, the business apps running within its container, is how that agent interacts with uh, a network token engine, such as Ping builds uh, or, or our competitors build. So we want to standardize a protocol uh, to allow such an agent to obtain from us or or others uh, the tokens that can then be handed off to the constituent apps.
0: So, And how far along are you um, with that standard working with everybody in your industry?
1: Uh, it's it's very early days. Um, the current reality is that there's a Google group where uh, interested parties are are just starting to talk about the use case and and try to identify uh, requirements. There's a, a draft spec. Um, currently, it's it's based on OpenID Connect, uh, which is why I made sure to mention OpenID Connect earlier. Um, ultimately, I think that community uh, members of that Google group will agree upon where the the work should be taken uh you know uh for m- different reasons there's value in some sort of more formal standardization process there's a number of different uh standards bodies that we might take that to uh to some extent that that remains to be seen where where we go next
0: okay so we're kind of at the end here but before we do that you know I did promise you that I'd throw in an extra topic um you actually mentioned it when we first started. And, you know, one of the things that I see when I look at identity management and all that is, you know, maybe we should forget about enterprise identity and just default to using Facebook or Twitter or Google or these people that already know who we are and, you know, somehow interface those with the enterprise and do that. And, you know, I figured that you could question your topic to kind of throw your way, especially since you mentioned it earlier.
1: Um, yeah, so that, that trend is is sometimes referred to as BYOI, bring your own identity, um, you know, riding the, the meme of BYO style. Um, so there's there's lots of potential value there. From an enterprise point of view, if they can outsource the responsibility of managing their employees' entities, um, then theoretically that's that's a win. Um, the current reality, though, is that an enterprise is probably unlikely to have sufficient confidence in how Facebook runs its identity infrastructure, how thoroughly they vet uh, the initial registration of a user, how securely they protect the, the keys that are used to validate those those tokens. Um an enterprise probably feels they can do a better job right now than Facebook or LinkedIn or equivalent. And until such time as there are trust programs um, comparable to what you described for EasyPass, where one state is willing to accept an Easy Pass issued by another state, until there are equivalent programs that would give to the enterprise the necessary information and, and Consequently, the necessary assurance about a socially, um, you know, an enterprise is, is probably going to just bite the bullet and continue.
0: Yeah, you know, looking at it that way, you know, personally, I'd have trouble trusting Facebook, Twitter, Google, or the like just for the fact that I don't necessarily want them knowing what my employees are doing all day. And, you know, some of that gets fed back to them. So.
1: I, I think ultimately you could likely control that, right? Because while uh, a Facebook might be asserting identity to you, uh, it's up to you what um, activity information, um, theoretically, uh, it's under your control as to how much of that makes makes it back to Facebook.
0: I like how you say theoretically. There are a lot of things that are theoretically possible, but a lot of people just don't do it, right? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> We're out of time this week, but Paul, I'm going to give you a second Saying, where can people learn a little bit more about identity identity and access management? And where's the best place to follow you on the web and on Twitter?
1: So uh, on Twitter, I am Paul Madsen. Um, First name, last name, nothing in between. Um, Where can people find out about identity? Um, Well, um, I mean, I'm biased. I think Ping... Irregardless, if you're interested in our services or products, we try to be a useful source of information about identity. So even if you don't want to buy from us, uh, steal our white papers. Um, and on the web, I'm uh, connected with an ID. Isn't that cute? Uh, <laughs> com.
0: So what we'll do is we'll actually put your um we'll actually put your Twitter handle and both the ping address and your own web address up on uh, the show notes. So anybody who's actually listening to the recording can um, currently go to the cloudcast.net website, which is um, our proud uh, parent podcast there, and look at the show notes and actually see where to contact you. And, you know, thanks a lot, Paul. This has been really a great show. And if you like the show, please tell a friend. Leave us a review on iTunes. You can certainly follow us on Twitter at the MobileCast um, or on the web at thecloudcast.net, um, where you can find every where you can find links to everything CloudCast and MobileCast. And you know we're working on some great shows. Um, had a lot of fun here talking with Paul, and I'm sure that sometime in the future we'll have you back, Paul, to tell us uh, what these standards are and where they're going from here.
1: Happy to do so. Thanks a lot, Brian. This is fun.
0: thanks, guy. Thanks, Paul. And everybody, we'll see you next week.